Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Gradient Podcast. We interview various people who research, build, or use AI, including academics, engineers, artists, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm your host, Andrei Karenkov. In this episode, I'm excited to be interviewing Blair Attard Frost. Blair is a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Information, who researches the governance and management of artificial intelligence. More specifically, they are interested in the social construction of intelligence, unintelligence, and artificial intelligence, the relationship between organizational values and AI use, and the political economy, governance, and ethics of AI value chains. They integrate perspectives from service sciences, cognitive sciences, public policy, information management, and queer studies for their research. So a little bit different from what we usually touch on, which will be super interesting. And thank you so much for joining us with interview Blair. Thank you so much for having me here, Andre. I'm excited to be here chatting with you. Awesome. As we usually do, I'm curious to hear about your story of how you wound up working on these subjects. When did you first get interested in AI and how you wound up doing this sort of research? Yeah, so I've been interested in science fiction for a long time. My undergraduate degree was actually English literature, so I had a bit of a winding path to where I am now. But in my undergrad, I was really interested in like science fictional depictions of artificial intelligence and human augmentation. And from that, I went into my master's and a combination of like cultural studies of technology. But I also did some more stuff around like information management and information systems design there. And then after I finished with my master's, I went out into the professional world for a while and did a lot of work government think tanks. I was at an AI startup for a while. And one of the think tanks or the think tank I was working at in a full-time capacity for about a year. And so when I first got exposed to one of the more recent social impacts of AI research, specifically around the future of work and labor automation issues like that. So that kind of piqued my interest in AI policy and AI governance and this whole new emerging political economy and AI. And it inspired me to go back to school for a PhD and look more explicitly at issues related to AI policy and AI governance, political economy. I see. Yeah. And this point of inspiration about AI governance and that social impact, I'm guessing was around the late 2010s-ish? Yeah, that was so that was around 2018 when I first got interested in it. So that was... Here in Canada, we launched a pan-Canadian AI strategy in 2017, and then a lot of other national governments around the same time frame, 2017, 2019, started to really take note of developments, deep learning, and the new kinds of industrial and commercial applications of AI that were just proliferating everywhere as a result. There was a lot of interest in future work and labor automation, things like that, yes, but just in the social impacts and the economic impacts of AI more broadly, given that new socio-technical environment that was made possible by those advancements. Yeah, exactly. That sort of time frame is, I'm sure, an interesting time to get into it, given that AI started exploding in the early 2010s. And then as people realized it, it seems like a lot of the 
policy and impact considerations followed and have been really a big topic in the last few years. So it must be an exciting thing to research, I imagine. Yeah, it's always changing. If you look away for a week or two and there's some kind of huge new development. So it's a very quickly evolving field, which makes it challenging, but it also makes it very interesting. Yeah, and speaking of your field, I think a lot of our listeners are probably more on the computer science side, uh, not so much in the policy or similar areas. So perhaps as we start looking into your work, could you just provide a general overview of what you research and what is AI governance, for instance? Yeah, absolutely. It's a kind of vague and broad term, and that's it's still a very emerging and broad field of study in itself. To think of AI governance as a field of study that aims to understand and more effectively control the social contexts in which AI systems are developed and used. So because it's focused on social context, probably speaking, that includes a number of issues, politics, economics, culture, even ecology, right? And it stands a lot of different, I guess you could say like, other fields, emerging fields related to the social impacts of AI, like AI ethics, for example, right? Ethical considerations are often like the bedrock for policy or regulatory initiatives. And then policy and regulatory initiatives are, of course, part of governing too, right? So there's this interesting mix of all of these fields that come together in AI governance that spans AI ethics, political economy, policy, law, and regulation. So it's this all encompassing broad area of research that tries to sift through all of those different demands in a in, through institutional lens, through the lens of what kinds of organizations, institutions are required to deal with the challenges of AI and then drilling down more specifically into issues of policy, for example, so what specific policy instruments would be required or in law, what specific laws or regulatory initiatives would be required. Standardization comes up a lot too in terms of industry, right? And there's an aspect of political economy too. What are some of the challenges related to wealth inequality, for example, or the tension between labor and capital that might result from some of these technologies? And how does that feed into issues of ethics and policy and regulation? So it's this big interconnected web of theoretical, critical, and practical considerations, which is fascinating, but also very slippery at times. Yeah, it sounds like it. It's almost for me as someone who is more on the algorithm side and computer science side, it seems like it's almost the opposite in the sense that in the computer science world, for most AI researchers, with some exceptions, if you're working on algorithms or trying to beat a benchmark, when you're building something, mostly don't worry about how what it's gonna do out there in the wild world you just worry about writing a paper and introducing some ideas it's been changing a little bit but still that's mind mindset and it seems like in ai governance it's the opposite you're all about how ai is interacting with the real world which is i yeah sounds complicated yeah it's a much different kind of broader problem space, I would assume, than focusing on solving a very specific technical problem when you're designing an algorithm, for example. And that makes half the battle just narrowing the problem space and scoping the problem correctly and then coming up with solutions. That's a whole other whole other consideration of itself, right? 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, on that note, that's the broad field. And now maybe we can go into what are the main things you are studying? How do you approach doing this kind of research? Yeah, it's a good question. As you mentioned in the intro, there's a few different and disciplinary lenses that can form my own approach to this kind of research. The more kind of conventional, like policy analysis, institutional theory, like public administration theory, that certainly plays a role in it. But a large part of my approach to understanding the political and economic dimensions of AI and AI governance comes from this interdisciplinary field called service science. So this is a collection of perspectives from economics, management, systems design, and engineering that together try to understand the dynamics of how the service economy works. So a service, its perspectives on AI governance tries to understand AI governance in the context of AI governance being a service within a service economy. And what I mean by that is in service science, a service can be viewed as an application of resources for the benefit of another party, right? Well, when a government or a company tries to govern AI, whatever AI systems are in their control, that is a service that's being done for their citizens or their customers or other stakeholders where they're applying resources for the benefit of those stakeholders, right? So a service science perspective on that would take that service as the center point and then look at all of the different kind of components that are involved in the delivery of that service. And hmm. there's a lot of different theoretical perspectives on what kinds of components are involved in delivering a service, but typically you get things like actors. So there's a lot of sociology and service science. After network theory plays a big role in it. So there's different kinds of economic and social actors with competing demands, sometimes with overlapping cooperative demands and needs. There's resources, tangible and intangible resources, part of what makes governing AI as a service particular so challenging is the intangibility of it, right? There's a lot of knowledge that goes into actually designing the algorithms and actually collecting, cleaning, preparing the data for use. And then the data itself is an intangible resource, but you also have these kind of tangible components the computer infrastructure and the people who are building it. And what that all leads to is the central interaction in service science is what's called value co-creates. It leads to a series of value propositions where people try to align their interests, align their values with one another and develop systems in such a way to maximize benefit and reduce the potential harms of those systems, right? So it's a bunch of kind of concepts all at once. Yeah, that you yeah, kind of yeah. Seeing how a service science perspective by taking all those concepts into one kind of unified view is able to get this very broad perspective on all the different political and economic dynamics that might be then developing or using an AI system. And then from that, being able to take that scope and develop potential like policy or regulatory solutions or AI ethics guidelines that would cover all of the different kinds of actor relationships, resourcing relationships within this. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And as you were explaining it, it seems like as you introduce AI governance itself is a kind of a messy, slippery, encompasses a lot of things. So in some sense, it feels to me like this framework 
that is also has a lot of concepts and, and is a little bit broad, but it makes sense that something like service sciences is a way to tame and approach this question. So that's really interesting for me. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's this very broad problem that needs a whole bunch of different kinds of conceptual tools to be able to just compartmentalize all the pieces of the problem and analyze them correctly. And incidentally, service science offers like a very broad set of tools and theoretical models for fitting all those pieces together. So there are still obviously issues like kind of scoping all of this properly and analyzing it and figuring out like which interactions, which actors to focus on as opposed to others. But service science is helpful for that because it approaches this big problem with a big set of tools. And that makes it a lot easier to point towards the most kind of significant challenges and the most kind of viable solutions. Yeah. And it also makes me realize not only is AI policy sort of a very fast developing and a newish space, but I would imagine just a research subfield on AI governance is probably fairly new. AI has been around for a long time, but it really hasn't been as impactful as it has been in the past decade ever. So there's been a lot of work on ethics, but on the governance side, I I would assume that there's not too much work to draw on. Is that about right? Yeah, that's about accurate. A lot of the governance stuff started coming up. Like I mentioned earlier, 2017, 2018, once governments started to take note that this was like a major social trend. Around the same time, a lot of the new, so you can say like new wave of AI ethics started to come up as when the kind of governance aspect of it came to. It's mm-hmm. always been a consideration in some form or another for as long as people have thought about the consequences of being able to create autonomous machines. But yeah, it's just in the last five or six years that it's really become a more significant, yeah, political, social issue. Exactly. And yeah, related to that, maybe we can go a bit more concrete and cover why in those five, six years has been becoming so prevalent. So in particular, you're in Canada, and I believe your research deals a lot with AI governance in Canada. So could we just go over sort of a brief history of what has been going on with AI governance in Canada, going back to Geoffrey Hinton, and then, as you mentioned, the pan-Canadian AI strategy and anything else that's worth noting? Sure, yeah. So there's this institution in Canada, it's a research institute called the Canadian Institute for Advanced Research, or CIFAR for short. And they manage a lot of different kinds of like science and technology research. They receive a lot of grants from the government to do that kind of research. And they were funding, I forget exactly how far back they were funding Jeff Hinton's research, but far before this kind of current wave of Yeah, like early, early 2000s, whatever. Uh, When nobody liked neural nets, they were supporting neural nets. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So they, they do a lot of, I guess you could say like moonshot projects like that. So fun research that there's like a kind of like unique researcher that they can, or a unique research project that they can sponsor and they will just go with it. So that was one Jeff Hinton's neural network and deep learning research. And that was obviously ultimately highly successful. And 
And CPAR plays a role in this AI governance story too. So in 2017, because they're such a influential player in science and technology research here in Canada, when the government of Canada saw that AI was becoming an issue with these huge social stakes, they realized that we were going to need a national strategy. So they commissioned CPAR to run what's called the Pan-Canadian AI strategy. And this is a collection of mostly... It's a collection of different programs. So a lot of it's a research. I think they call them the CIFAR research chairs. So these are AI researchers across Canada who focus on different areas in AI research. There's three uh, AI institutes that we have that CIFAR kind of funds and manages throughout Canada as part of this strategy. One's here in Toronto called the Vector Institute. And there's also another Montreal and another in Edmonton, Alberta. And then there's a set of policy workshops and they've done some reporting and training initiatives. And just last year, the federal government's budget included, forgetting exactly how much it was up and, but it was a big sizable job to continue the strategy for another 10 years. But back in 2017, when this strategy first started, it was unique in that it was the first national strategy of its kind specifically focused bonding solutions, AI governance solutions, really at a national strategy level to develop a broad range of programs and outputs um, mm. and help better inform policy decision-making and political economic activity, like around like new wave of AI, right? And yeah, since then, yeah. a lot more exactly. early countries have obviously taken an interest in this, but CIFAR is just noticeable, notable for being first major national strategy of its kind. Yeah, I think the United States only got around to it maybe a year ago or definitely under Biden. That was when it was really worked upon more. Yeah, I think the U.S. started with it under Trump and then under Biden. It's a lot more integrated. It's all more comprehensive now, whereas before it was a whole bunch of different pieces. It was like a commercialization piece, a defense piece. I think under Biden, I think it's now called the... National Artificial Intelligence Initiative. I might be getting that wrong, but the Biden administration has done a lot of work in like rolling that all into kind of one package in a way that it wasn't before. Yeah. And for anyone interested in, obviously this is a complicated topic and there's many countries working on it, et cetera. You, for any listeners, you may look up the AI index report. It's a yearly report and it covers a lot of these kinds of developments and has some on this as well. Yeah. So that's... An interesting kind of brief history of the governance in Canada. And so we can dive into a specific piece of work by Blair titled Once a Promising Leader, Canada's Artificial Intelligence Strategy is Now a Fragmented Laggard. So this was an article. And yeah, could you just give us an overview of what was this all about? Sure. So... This article was released earlier this year, back in February, and it's based on some initial findings from a research project that I'm currently working on, which is kind of like a broad knowledge synthesis of a lot of AI governance initiatives that are taking place in Canada. And since the pan-Canadian AI strategy launched and was spearheading initiative in AI governance back in 2017, as we talked about, there's been a lot more that's been done throughout the world. And one issue that Canada is now facing is there's 
been kind of criticisms of Canada's approach to AI governance over the last few years on a number of fronts. Some of the more common ones that you see are there's not really a clear strategy for commercialization. So keeping capital or talent or intellectual property related to made by Canadian AI firms in Canada. And that's an issue that's present in Canadian innovation policy more generally, but in AI innovation as well. Some other criticisms that have also been levied against Canada's strategies, like a lack of public buy-in or a lack of even public understanding of what the strategy seeks to do or what the potential benefits of it could be. One poll that I bring up in this article was recently conducted by Hipsos showed that of the countries that they surveyed in it, Canada's for the Canadians were the least or the most likely rather to be skeptical of advances in AI. Oh. And it's a big challenge with integrating Canadian AI governance initiatives across our provincial governments and across the between the federal, provincial, and municipal levels too. For example, here in Ontario, our provincial government has like this very comprehensive set of AI ethics guidelines that have been developed as part of the public consultation process. And at the federal level, there's something called the Directive of Automated Decision Making, which is made by the federal treasury board. Secretariat of Canada, and it applies to the development, use, and procurement of AI systems within the federal government and federal agencies. And some municipal governments, I think notably the municipal government of London, Ontario, have adapted that to their own use context. It's a good framework for what it does in and of itself, but it, in many ways, is like emblematic of this kind of fragmentary nature of how different governments and how different players in Canada are approaching these issues on their own terms, right? So what I call for in the article is just a more comprehensive approach to the problem, where, for example, like CPAR could conduct more knowledge synthesis research to be able to integrate more of these initiatives together. It would also be, we have an advisory council on AI that's run by another one of our federal ministries, Innovation, Science and Economic Development. And it's a collection of experts in AI from research industry or research institutes and from industry, but we don't really have intergovernmental strategic council on any kind mm-hmm. on AI. So one other kind of suggestion I bring up to solve that kind of integration problem would be that more formally have some like intergovernmental or interdepartmental initiatives. And I'm sure that there's a lot of collaboration on those topics that goes on like more informally, but there's not really a lot of interdepartmental, intergovernmental collaboration that we see in a public facing way, right? And when one one of your challenges is getting public buy-in and trying to reduce the public criticism of these kinds of initiatives, having that kind of public facing with public facing initiatives and even bringing the public into those is something that might be worth considering a lot more strongly, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, it's interesting that uh, part of the article, as you said, is in the title, it says laggard, so lagging behind. And for a little bit, you cover how, I believe you say here that compared to like China and Japan, it's not so much, there's no long-term vision on the role of AI in their societies. And yeah, in the US and EU, there's more well-defined mechanisms for coordination. So it seems, yeah, maybe Canada could do more to start doing some of these things that other countries 
are achieving with their newer strategies. Is that kind of fair? Yeah, I think that's fair to say to some extent, especially around things like long-term vision. There isn't really a clear long-term vision like China or Japan has about what the role of AI is going to be in Canadian society in the future, but also around issues like regulation, right? Like the European Union has proposed regulatory framework for AI and Canada is still working on apps, a short form version of the act is the Digital Charter Implementation Act, which has some provisions related to AI, but is more concerned with like issues of data privacy and data governance on the whole, which the EU already tackled with GDPR, of course, and now the EU has moved on to full on, not full on, but the much more comprehensive, much more holistic regulatory framework for AI, right? And I think a lot of this might have to do with the fragmentary, a lot of the lag might have to do with the fragmentary nature of how AI governance has been approached in Canada over these last few years, right? There's a lot of great initiatives that have been done at the federal level and at provincial level to look at different aspects of AI policy and different kind of facets of AI. Data governance, for example, data to build AI systems, but that's one piece of AI. And semiconductors, you could argue, computing infrastructure is like another piece, right? And we innovation, science, and economic development recently announced like a national semiconductors initiative, right? But it's completely disconnected from, as from a public facing point of view, at least it's completely disconnected from any kind of national AI strategy, right? Mm -hmm. So connecting pieces together like that, connecting initiatives, some of the work that's already been done together like that might be able to help Canada to take a more comprehensive approach to some of these problems with our national strategy going forward. Whereas presently, there's been a lot of great work being done. A lot of the work that CIFAR does is around research, training, and then there's federal government, provincial governments, different agencies and those that are all doing and funding their own projects, right? So it's yeah. difficult when AI governance is such a broad issue with so many concerns like we were talking about at the start, right? It's difficult to bring that all together in a systematical way when it's so spread out. And that's something that, speaking of the U.S. and the National AI Initiative there, that's something that the National AI Initiative over the last few years has been doing. Very well, it's bringing together a lot of different initiatives and a lot of different governance concerns throughout the U.S. together under this one roof. Oh, that's good to hear. I thought something I was aware of. So as a resident of the U.S., I'm glad to hear that. And yeah, actually, it's something I'd like to mention is in the article, you actually, to support your point, you link to a paper from CIFAR titled Building an AI World Report on National and Regional AI Strategies. And uh, yeah, it's just quite interesting. It covers a bunch of strategies from, I don't know, 20 plus countries and actually has these little ratings on how much there's focus on research, AI talent, inclusion, future work, ethics, data, like eight different. And yeah, you actually can see CIFAR's own rating of all these countries and Canada is pretty much all about research and talent, a little bit of ethics, whereas other countries are more, yeah, more diversified, try to cover more of it. So it's interesting to see that at least it's something that is somewhat discussed or is acknowledged. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point. Something that's definitely on a lot of people's radars and with things like ethics and I forget exactly what the categories they looked at in that CIFAR report were, but I, if I remember correctly, there's like ethics, 
data governance, industry, innovation, like things like that. Like there, there's initiatives being done around those particular areas throughout the federal government in different provincial governments, for example. But the issue is it's not really, it's not really being formally done as part of the national strategy and connected with these other initiatives, I think. Like it's mm-hmm. often just a strategy that one ministry is taking and it's well, yeah, it's a link together as part of an actual AI strategy with some kind of like macro macro strategic vision or administrative coordination mechanisms would link these different parts together, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this report covers specific, basically, overviews. It, it actually has links to things like in China, there's a thing called the Next Generation AI Development Plan. In the EU, there's the native plan on AI. So you said these more global or not global, but like national nation level initiatives. So it's interesting to see, compare them actually by looking at this report. Yeah, exactly. Report does a really good job of kind of like literally illustrating through those categories and through the heat maps and the graphs, the job of illustrating the nature of the problem. Yeah, and the listeners as usual will include links to these things we've discussed. So feel free to go ahead and check it out yourself. All right. Yeah. So a governance, huge topic, but I'm glad we could chip away at some of it and then hear a lot about how it is going on in in Canada and in other regions of the world. Now, another aspect that you research is ethics of AI and, and organizational values and AI use. So we'll go ahead and transition to talking a bit more about that. One work of yours is the ethics of AI business practices, a review of 47 guidelines. So going from national AI strategies to AI business practices. And yeah, maybe just can you give us an introduction to what this paper is about? Sure. So this paper tries to turn a lot of the typical thinking on AI ethics on its head. So what we do in this is we look at, instead of looking at AI systems or issues related to algorithmic decision-making, automated decision-making, we look at issues related to business decision-making and organizational decision-making, business practices. And the way that we structure our analysis is by taking the standard principles of AI ethics, fairness, accountability, transparency, we add sustainability into. And by applying those principles, not to algorithmic or automated decision-making, but to business decision-making. So in this paper, we're not concerned with the fairness of an automated decision-making system so much as we are with the fairness of the business decisions and the business practices through which that system is resourced, developed, managed, implemented, used within an actual business context, right? So what we're trying to do with this review is take that perspective and look at a set of existing AI ethics guidelines from a number of different stakeholders. We look at guidelines from industry, from governments, from intergovernmental organizations, civil society. And we analyze the degree to which these different guidelines consider these issues of business practices, consider these principles of fairness, accountability, transparency and sustainability in the context 
of business decision-making rather than algorithmic or automated decision-making. And this results in, we, we conduct a thematic analysis, which results in us finding, I think it's 11 different themes across these four principles. So to give an example of what these themes look like, fairness in AI business practices, one of the themes we find is open innovation. So this kind of looks at the extent to which like different businesses and governments consider things like data trusts or issues related to data ownership or open source initiatives, open source code, open source platforms within their considerations of ethics. Similarly, we look at like bias and diversity and professional practices as one of the themes. So rather than like bias and data sets, which is like a very conventional concern, algorithmic fairness again, right? The concern here is more about bias in the actual workforce that would be involved in like developing the system in putting together that data set and working with the data, even in like a resourcing or obtaining financing to build the system or collect that data, right? So we are more concerned with the whole, the business ecosystem and a lot of those, a lot of the more political economic relationships that go into actually creating the social conditions from which AI systems can be developed and used, or in other words, the business practices involved in creating the systems, right? Yeah, yeah. So again, an interesting look at how AI is actually being done in the real world outside of academia, which is, as someone mostly stuck in academia, always interesting to get a glimpse of. And one thing I found interesting is this kind of framework of fairness, accountability, sustainability, and transparency, which is the FAST principles. So could you just give a quick overview of why or how you chose that and what some of these things like accountability and transparency mean in the context of business practices? Yeah, that's a good question. So we, I think we chose, so that I guess we can start with the fact principles that conventionally fairness, accountability, transparency was. I think we chose those three principles in particular just to illustrate this point, often when AI ethics talks about fairness, accountability, and transparency, it's in this really, this really strange way where there's this kind of AI system or algorithms or, or sorry, an algorithmic system that's imagined as being almost entirely disconnected from like political and economic concerns. It's just kind of something that you put data inputs into and you get outputs from. And what we wanted to do is to undermine those principles and show how they also or undermine the conventional application of those principles in AI ethics and show how they're more relevant to real world political and economic considerations than a lot of, a lot of researchers and practitioners in AI ethics would typically consider. Like transparency, for example, is something that you can immediately think about in a business context as being an issue that relates to issues of trade secrets, right? And that's one of the themes, I forget exactly what we call the theme in the paper, but trade secrets is something that's very deeply related to transparency and how transparent a business wants to be in sharing its intellectual property. Similarly for fairness, some issues like hope and innovation that I mentioned a moment ago, or market fairness is another issue that comes up, issues related to like fair competition, solutions like antitrust 
law that we now see like coming up with some of the big players like Google and the Amazon, right? So these are principles that are very relevant to the development and use of AI in a much broader sense than they're usually imagined. That's why we wanted to take those principles and just reconnect them. I think you used the phrase real world, and I think that's like a good way of putting it, reconnect them with these real world ethical considerations that go beyond just surely the like technical and operational confines of the system. The addition of sustainability, so fast rather than effect principles, this comes like a foundation that we used for a lot of our thinking on AI ethics for this paper was, forget the name of this report, but David Leslie, David Leslie's report for the Alan Turing Institute was a report on the overview of a lot of different concerns in AI ethics. And he includes sustainability in alongside the conventional three FAF principles. But again, it's included in the context of the development of the system itself. So we wanted to show how sustainability is relevant in a more broader kind of social and economic sense too. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, I'm just looking at the references now and this paper by Leslie is Understanding AI Ethics and Safety, a Guide for Responsible Design and Implementation of AI Systems in the Public Sector. So again, related to this topic of actually building AI out in the world, outside the lab. And yeah, it's interesting to hear the comparison of how AI ethics researchers who deal with these FAT, FAT is is like a conference that deals with fairness, accountability and transparency. But yeah, it sounds like maybe they're still focused on this model view, this like academic lab study of one thing, not quite dealing with the messiness of the real world so much yet. That's a good way of putting it. I think it goes back to something you said earlier too about just the ways of approaching from kind of like a computer science point of view, for example, right? The ways of approaching a problem, it's a much more like focused and concrete problem-solving process, right? Whereas once you start like putting situating that problem within broader social context, it starts to become very messy very quickly. And there's all kinds of new dynamics. And as soon as people become involved with things, people are, things get very messy very quickly, right? Because now you have politics, you have power dynamics, you have economic considerations, you have culture, you have ecological considerations about how these systems interact with the environment too, right? So there's all kinds of issues that come up once you take these systems and just look at what's going on around them in terms of the ethical issues that they produce just by virtue of being part of these business processes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so looking a bit to your results, your findings, you covered a bit that you found these 11 themes but you also graded all of these 47 reports on what they include. So then we touched a bit on the results of the paper insofar as you have these themes. But another thing in it is actually looking into of these seven, 47 reports, what they actually discuss in terms of these aspects of fairness, accountability, sustainability, transparency whether these different things are relevant or semi-relevant or not relevant to what is in the report, what is in the guidelines, I should say. So yeah, could you just give a quick summary of 
what these guidelines typically did and did not touch upon? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think sustainability is something that came up the least in general and that's to be expected because it's that one kind of principle that was shoehorned in and isn't so much present in just a lot of the AI ethics considerations in general. When issues of sustainability come up, a lot of it where it came up very directly was in government and it had to do with what we call sustainable development as a theme. And what we meant by sustainable development is a lot of the time governments are concerned with being able to, you see this the term like social benefit or broad social benefit a lot, and they're concerned with being able to produce broad social benefit from AI development in you across a long time horizon. So Sustainable development relates to the ability to produce broad social benefit on a long timeline. So a lot of governments are interested in that because to do that across a long timeline requires long-term planning, requires things like knowledge government governance, like research, education, training, making sure that you have talent, whether it's like immigrating into the country or being trained locally to be to do AI research and do AI work. That's like a key part of sustainability for a lot of governments. Private sector kind of talks about sustainability themes sometimes too, as well as multi-stakeholder groups. The themes that come up the most though are fairness and accountability. And a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the work on accountability, the three key themes that we found in accountability were what we call public perception of AI business practices, internal oversight of AI business practices, and external oversight. So public perception and AI business practices relates to some of the issues we were talking about earlier in relation to Canada's AI strategy, right? Where there's this kind of like this public skepticism about whether or not it, what AI even is, whether or not it can produce social benefit, whether it's relevant to people's lives. So public perception, a lot of the time we saw in government, because government obviously wants to get public buy-in from their electorate for these kinds of initiatives, but also sometimes from private sectors. Google's, what's it called? Responsible Development of AI. It's a document by Google that delves into some issues of public perception and essentially makes this connection between needing public buy-in and needing to cultivate a positive public perception of their work. AI development for more generally to be able to sustain this whole business ecosystem and the whole of demand, market demand for AI products and services, right? And that kind of ties in that issue of perception and ties into accountability for them as well too in terms of the other two themes, internal and external oversight, right? So in order to cultivate a public perception of their business practices, you need these oversight mechanisms, whether they're internal, whether it's different internal committees, voting processes, or external policies, regulations, standard setting initiatives, auditing organizations, right? So one thing about that is how sometimes government and industry diverge on those issues, but in account of those accountability issues, for example, there's this pretty tight coupling between government and industry and like what they want in terms of fostering positive public perceptions of this technology, ensuring that there's some kind of oversight over it, all for the ultimate goal of ostensibly producing broad social benefit. Yeah. And on that note, it reminds me, similar to national AI strategies, we sorts of AI guidelines and ethical 
AI guidelines have all exploded in their numbers in the last few years. A lot of different ones came out, national and, as you said, industry as well. And there's been at least a little bit of a backlash I've seen to that coming out more recently where people are saying, okay, we published some guidelines, but does that actually change anything? And there's claims of ethics washing especially in industry, basically saying this is just for public perception of what you're doing and not actually to help. Yeah. In the context of the support, could you comment on this topic of ethics washing and then how these guidelines may or may not be doing that? Yeah, that's a really important question. Yeah, you're totally right to know that this issue of public perception and like the concern of ethics washing go hand in hand with, you, with each other, right? Because obviously companies want to call to be a positive public perception of their work and create this perception of their work as being ethical in order to get backing from the public as well as like from government for the work they do. And governments are no different than that too, right? The governments obviously want their publics to consider the work that they're doing around AI ethics and AI governance. They want their publics to consider that work to be responsible and ethical. And we talk about ethics washing. It's one of the issues that comes up a little bit in our discussion in the paper. So in the paper, we talk about ethics washing as this charge that's levied against organizations that perform what we call a superficial interest in AI ethics for their own political or economic gain. And that's something that's done deliberately a lot for that reason of public perception, right? Mm -hmm. We also suggest, and I think this is an important direction for future considerations in AI ethics, what we also suggest is that AI ethics washing can occur inadvertently when an AI ethics guideline even if it's well-intentioned or AI set of guidelines can try to like stumble on ever. What we also suggest is that ethics washing can arise perhaps inadvertently even like well-intentioned guidelines in a situation where like the political economy of the issue, the politics and the economics of like the social dynamics surrounding the system are properly taken into account, right? So if you're saying that a system is fair, accountable, and transparent, right? There's no bias in the data. There's a human in the loop design and it's all fully explainable. There's an explainable AI interface built into it. It's great. It's ethical. If you're saying all of that, but the system is ultimately being used to, let's say, optimize cigarette sales in the global selves. Is, is it really ethical anymore once you're actually situating it within its social and its economic context, right? So we take that notion of ethics washing and extend it into the social context. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've seen some positive developments where people are trying to operationalize ethics guidelines. That's been one of the discussions. So hopefully that is becoming more of a thing. And just to wrap up on this paper, so you've done this a really interesting overview and has a lot of findings about what is in guidelines. And I believe in the conclusion, you comment on it and suggest what could be good modifications or, or how to better make these guidelines or improve them. So yeah, what would be maybe some of the main things you would say from looking at what is out there now, how could 
you better do AI guidelines in industry and I guess also government and anything. I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. I think the kind of main points that we bring up are expanding the disciplinary and the ontological scope of the AI ethics. So starting with the disciplinary scope, like what I mean by that is a lot of the time AI ethics is done from this very computational perspective, right? From an engineering perspective, it's a very concerned about algorithms and data. But I think more often it would be helpful since these guidelines and since AI ethics in general has real social and economic impacts to include like more perspectives from like economics, political science, ecology, management, and include a broader concerns from those disciplines, such as business practices, such as political economy and the design of the guidelines, right? Like again, if the systems like fair, accountable, technical from an operational point of view that really doesn't guarantee that it'll still embody those principles in an economic or political or cultural point of view once it's actually put in practice out in the real world, right? Making sure that is by involving more disciplinary perspectives in the mm. design of those guidelines. The kind of second point I brought up was to not just expand the disciplinary scope, but also expand the ontological scope of what AI ethics encompasses. And what I mean by that is, I think there's like something broader to be said for this about expanding the scope of what we think of AI as being or what we think of an AI system as being by taking these components that I've been talking about and that I like to study so much, like social actors, economic relations, like political institutions, all the human knowledge that goes into the development of these systems, all the material financial resources that goes in and comes out of them. Taking all of that and reimagining AI as something nominal that includes all of those interactions. In other words, like think AI just doesn't exist without that full cognitive and material ecosystem, right? Yeah. What's really necessary is beyond kind of a disciplinary reimagining of AI ethics and ontological reimagining of these kinds of social factors as being not just the contents of AI systems, but a part of the system's actual operation without which the technical aspects can't even function, right? There's no computation. Mm without the material or financial or human competence. And it's all well and good to include like these extended disciplinary perspectives on AI ethics from economics, political science, whatever. But I think at the end of the day, unless we're really realizing that AI is inextricably embedded into social processes, that kind of disciplinary expansion still doesn't go far enough and still misses the mark on reconnecting ethics with the social reality of the systems. Yeah, yeah, this is interesting. It reminds me, we've had an interview and also some articles by Upal Asan from Georgia Tech who works on explainability. And his argument in recent years has been to look at AI in the context of socio-technical systems where, you know, if you want explainability in industry for practitioners to really get good explainability, as you say, it's, you can't just look at the AI, you need to look at the people using it and then the broader system. And yeah, so it's interesting to hear another instance in which that sort of point is being raised. 
And yeah, it seems as emerging fields, AI governance and explainability maybe will move at least partially towards that away from just purely algorithmic stuff just by necessity. Yeah, I really hope so. I'm starting to see a little bit of a turn in some some of the criticisms of AI ethics are starting to focus more on these like social issues and more on the context around AI systems and business context, political context, economic context more so than the systems themselves. And I think that's I think that's very important. And I think it's also important to at the same time, and I think there's like a turn in AI. AI governance to some extent to acknowledge this, especially in like the future of work area, to acknowledge that these systems, like these issues, I keep saying context, like social context, economic context, but to also acknowledge that these issues are more than just context. Actually, the decisions that are made by businesses or by people to develop these systems or the profits that are made off of them and the investment decisions that are made as a result of that. That's, in a sense, part of the system's design, part of its development, part of its use. Yeah, I really hope, like, going forward, AI ethics and AI governance, there's more attention to those kinds of social issues, sociotech lenses that look at these issues as, like, sociotechnical systems, as you said, with a very strong emphasis on, like, the socio uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And as I've said, it's really interesting to hear about this very different kinds of research that as computer science people, usually we don't even think about dealing with the social aspect of the people aspect, but to leave that's something that is inevitable. So it's very cool to to hear about how you use that in your own work and then how that should be more present in a lot of AI research. And then just to finish up the interview, we always like to get away from research and AI for a bit and just talk about, I guess, <laughs> you as a person or at least a person beyond just AI. And looking at your website, there's a lot of interesting stuff that you have pretty cool hobbies outside of research. So do you want to just chat a bit about what you do? creatively beyond academia? Sure, yeah. So I, I do kind of like the main creative project that I focus on right now is called Object Type 3. And in many ways, it's like a tie-in with my research. It's like an interactive web serial. It's like the easiest way to describe like the plot would be there's bunch of gay trans cyborg warrior monks who have to command robot swarms with their minds to stop the technological singularity from happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's like a lot going on in that concept, yeah. but I like it because it, it provides me with this very open-ended creative vehicle to explore a lot of issues related to AI governance and like the future of AI governance, but also the present of it and extrapolate that into the future and to grammatize what that might look like for people who have to deal with those kinds of those kinds of decisions about having to stop the technological singularity from happening is pretty extreme. But a lot of the issues as I've been writing it have been finding a lot of the issues that come up are issues that we're still thinking about today, right? Like how can you rust 
the information that an AI system is providing to you when you don't know the details behind like who designed it, when there's no transparency or very limited transparency or explainability and why it's making the decisions it is or providing you with the information that it is, right? And like that kind of lack of transparency, lack of explainability allows for some like really fun kind of mystery elements in the narrative and allows you to play around with the reader's expectations and perception of the characters and the story's progression a lot because you can just never trust the AI systems. And as a result, because so much in the story revolves around decisions being made by the AI, like you can never really trust the narration. So it's fun to play with these concepts from AI ethics and AI governance in a narrative form to really push them to their extreme limit of technological singularity and rogue super intelligence, but really realizing through that, that like fundamentally a lot of those issues really start right now with the issues we're talking mm. about right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. It makes me, for whatever reason, I've often had ideas for short fiction AI concepts. Sadly, I've never found the time to work on it, but I could definitely see how just thinking about AI and working on it in a fictional sense helps you work through some of these more higher level questions. So it's really cool to hear that this is something you're working on. And yeah, as I've said before, we'll include a link in the description of the article of an episode. So if that pitch of, if I remember, gay, trans, or monks piloting yes. robots to fight the AI singularity, if that sounds intriguing, which it certainly sounds intriguing to me, check out the link in the description. And with that, we're going to go in and wrap up. That was really interesting to hear something that I think a lot of listeners, and me included, don't know much about. So thank you so much, Blair, for uh, taking the time to do this interview. Thanks so much for having me here, Andre. It was a pleasure speaking to you. All righty. And then just to do a quick outro, once again, this is The Gradient Podcast. Check out thegradient.pub for our magazine with a lot of articles related to AI, similar to what we do in these interviews. And if you've enjoyed this interview or other stuff we've done, feel free to support by sharing it and reviewing it. I actually check reviews on the Apple podcast every once in a while, and it's always exciting to see new stuff on there. So do consider it. And with that, thank you so much for listening, and be sure to tune in to future episodes.